You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Upside. You need to prove you're looking for work. I've been looking, trust me. Three signatures by tomorrow, or you can tell it to the judge. Tell me about a time when you worked hard to solve a problem. This morning, getting up. We're going to find you someone you like. Let me be your arms and your legs. I love that. All right. Penthouse. You need to wait your turn. Relax, it's not a hold-up. Just sign this one, please. How would I sign it? I don't know. Slowly? <sighs> Wait, don't your arms work? They don't. You can move your mouth. As can you. I need assistance. How much does it pay? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. It's my bad, my bad, man. You are not qualified for this position. The buckle, buckle! Have you ever changed a catheter? No. Pinch the head, insert. Mm. I can't feel it. Oh, well, I can. You want to feed your soul? Then listen to its clean. Think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me. It's amazing, ain't it? It sounds just like it. Yeah, it's uncanny. You he was rich as Jay-Z? No, richer. Which car is yours? All of these to the right. Oh my God. They're not practical. Exactly. You can have any girl you want. What about this lady with all the bow ties? I'll be perfect for each other. You can't move your body, she can't move her face. I specifically said nothing for my birthday. I'm sorry you gotta have a surprise party in your huge mansion. Some of us got real problems. I'm fighting to see my son. And whose fault is it? Is it yours or is the world out to get you? Are you mad? You want to break this big ass bottle of wine? Yeah! What else you want to do? The bull. What? Dell made a mess. So I You were just listening to the trailer for The Upside, and the story is as follows. Philip is a wealthy quadriplegic who needs a caretaker to help him with his day-to-day routine in his New York penthouse. He decides to hire Dell, a struggling parolee who's trying to reconnect with his ex and his young son. Despite coming from two different worlds, an unlikely friendship starts to blossom as fun-loving Dell shows curmudgeonly Philip that life is worth living. The film is starring Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston and Nicole Kidman. It is directed by Neil Berger and written by John Hartmere. Join me for this review. I have Katie Schaefer. Hello. Okay, Katie. So it's January and Oscar season is underway and December is officially behind us. And that means we are reviewing shitty movies. Yes. <laughs> on the next Best Picture podcast. Yes, it does. That's that's just <sighs> how January is. Now, say what you will about movies like Vice and Destroyer, but when you go from Vice and Destroyer to The Upside, there is, well, very little upside to that. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's the only one you get this episode. Okay, all right. I was going to say, because I had a couple more written down. I have like a pun of upside comments here. So Okay, maybe one more. So the first question I have for you, Katie, actually, in relation to the upside is, have you seen the original French film, The Untouchables, that this is uh, based on? No, I haven't. And I'm really sad. I didn't know it existed until afterwards because I, I was I saw this with a friend and now I'm gonna watch it because it's got to be better than what we saw oh yeah it it most certainly is like make no mistake about it uh, this film has had a long long production history uh, simply because of the fact that it was originally supposed to be distributed by the Weinstein company and of course we all know the Weinstein company went out of business this film was kind of in limbo it, it actually uh, played a tiff. Uh, to a few people who saw it there. And the situation with this movie was nobody really knew what was going to become of it. It was supposed to be coming out, I remember, like in March, and then it got moved. And, you know, here we are now. It's dumped in April. And I think for a pretty good reason. And it's also, too, kind of coincidental that it happens to be dumped right at the time when Kevin Hart has all of this controversy surrounding him right now. And to make matters even worse, the film itself touches upon these controversies, I felt like. It does. Multiple times. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable when you watch it's, it. It's unbelievably uncomfortable because I ask myself, is this all coincidence? Or does Kevin Hart have some sort of pool behind the scenes in terms of how this script was written? I, I like, I, I just said to myself, there's, it's so weird to me that some of the things that he said, like on Ellen DeGeneres lately, and, and for those that don't know, I'm talking about Kevin Hart was supposed to be hosting the Oscars and some homophobic tweets from his past surfaced online. And he claimed he had apologized for them before, but Let's face it, it was kind of a half-assed apology and not the sort of apology that the public was really demanding from him to show that he was really sincere and remorseful and that he really had changed. Instead of addressing these claims and saying, yes, I really do apologize. I'm going to donate, you know, $10,000 to a nonprofit for LGBTQ rights, whatever. Instead, he says, that's in my past. And I got to move on. I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't do this no more. And he plays the victim card acting like, you know, everybody is harping on him for this. And all people really just want is for him to own up to it. And man, there, there are some direct references in this movie that just highlight that even more. I mean, it, it was, t to your point, Katie, it was, it was just very uncomfortable. Yeah, I spent, uh, when I left the theater, I told my, my friend, I was like, well, I was really uncomfortable cringing for two hours, but I, I guess I, I, that's what I experienced, just the whole movie. I said to, I said to someone uh, I saw with who was uh, sitting right next to me when it was over, I was like, you thought Green Book had problems? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is this is like so much worse. I mean, we're trading in racial issues for disability issues here in the upside. And by issues, I'm talking like, yeah, you know what? It's fine to talk about, I think, disability in, in film, sure. Uh, but I think the film talks about it in a way that doesn't actually help any causes here. You know, there's another... Uh, semi-mini controversy uh, involving Brian Cranston where he was asked in an interview, you know, you as an able-bodied actor playing a disabled person. And for the record, I just want people to know that are listening to this, there's no point in this movie where we ever see Brian Cranston's character, uh, Philip, able and walking and 
you know, you know, it, it just in a in his normal state before he has this power gliding accident that leaves him as a quadriplegic. We, we never see that. So theoretically, a disabled person could have actually been in this role. Yes, and and it would have been much more authentic. But I don't know that a disabled person would have wanted to play this role because so much of the the comedy in this is based on ha look at him he's disabled he can't do things there's one line early on oh my god and it was um oh i have this written down here and this is right when i knew right away that this movie was completely tone deaf there was a line about um asking him to sign his book and at like this this fan was asking for an autograph and brian's like and how am i gonna do that and it was played for laughs oh yeah and it was just like, <gasps> like it was just so cringeworthy. Like, why would you play that for laughs? Right? Why would you do that at all? Like, this is, this isn't funny. It's not. No. This is someone's life, and mm-hmm. this is a thing that it's. It's not one or two. This is, uh, you know, a population of people that exists with this disability, and this is their life. How can you be so disrespectful and? It was like his body is his body is used as a joke instead of yeah. his body. And it kind of cuts. There's the, the character and then there's the character's physical persona. And those two things are separate. Like there's respect given to the character, but not to his physicality. And that is every scene where that comes into play. It's so uncomfortable because it feels utterly tone deaf and... Uh, in con- unconsidered. Yeah, and not to mention too, you know, you can't escape the fact that when you're watching this with the news surrounding Kevin Hart recently, um, and, and the way that he reacts to this person who is uh, disabled, it's like it, it once again just paints Kevin Hart as an asshole. Honestly, and you could say, oh, that's the character and he's written to be this way in the beginning of the movie. And of course, through this friendship, he learned something from Cranston. Cranston learned something from him and they're buddies by the end and they are best friends till this day. It's it's essentially the Green Book storyline just all over again with this. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm honestly like just a little sick of it because I think it's so tired. I think it's so um, old fashioned. And I don't think it's presenting any new ideas. Instead, the ideas that it are that it is presenting are old-fashioned concepts uh, about people that I feel like are being exploited for box office returns from an audience that doesn't know any better. Right, and it's weird because I I saw these these few moments in there where I was like, okay, good job. You that's one thing you should do. Like when they're at the they're at a counter and they're ordering food and the clerk asks Kevin Hart what he wants and then he asks, "Oh, what does he want?" and Kevin Hart looks at him and he says, "Don't do that, man. Ask him what he wants." Oh yeah, I do remember that. Like mm-hmm. there's these tiny moments that I was like, "Okay, this makes sense. Now, why is the rest of the movie this way?" So, it feels like it's not that it they didn't know is that they just didn't care well the other well the other issue is that like i say you know exploitive yeah and that they don't care because philip is someone who's given up on life and the screenplay tries to get around the idea that he's given up on life because of the accident and they more so try to address that he's given up on life because of a subplot involving his his wife and i thought to myself okay that seems like more of an excuse 
to avoid that you're trying to do the whole, oh, woe is me. Oh, my God, isn't the life of a disabled person just so miserable and so awful? Because I feel like that's what we typically tend to see a lot of times yes. uh, in movies, uh, especially crowd-pleasing movies like this. Yeah, it's a pity party. And look at how terrible this person's life is. Aren't you happy that you're not this person? And it's it erases the humanity. Uh, and uh, you know what sucks about this this version of that is that he's rich. Yeah. He's a millionaire. <laughs> and I go back to uh, something that uh, Peter Dinklage, Tyrion Lannister, says in Game of Thrones, because you all know I love Game of Thrones. He says, uh, he says, like in season one, something along the lines of if, you, if you're going to be a cripple, it's better to be a rich cripple. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing is that like this character is not representative of a majority of the population that, you know, obviously are disabled. A lot of them can't afford to have the level of care and opportunity that he has. And still the film presents him not so much as a human being that has desires, that has dreams, that has personality. Everything about his character, everything that he says in this movie, everything he does is because he's in this chair. Right. I don't I just I don't know. Like I'm just tired I'm really just tired of it. Right. His disability is what defines him. It's not just like, well, this is a part of who I am, like, you know. Right. It's this is what I am is a disabled person instead of Mm -hmm. being, well, this is what I'm living with and I'm still a whole person with thoughts and dreams and whatever. Like, and it's, it's exhausting. And there's also the aspect of this, that Kevin Hart's character is very much like the magical black person. He, he comes in with his funny ways to, to brighten things up and they think he's not going to be able to perform. So that's why he gets chosen to be this guy's caretaker. But it turns out he knows exactly what Brian Cranston needs. And it's, and then when he leaves, he needs a little bit of weed. Right. That's, (laughs) that was kind of funny. But when Kevin Hart leaves, when he pushes him away, then all of a sudden everything's falling and only Kevin Hart's character can save the day with his great ideas. And it's it's so tiresome that this guy is, he's just reduced to being this crutch for this rich person to help them feel better instead of being like a genuine friendship. And that is just, we're done with that. Let's move along. Let's find new ways to tell interesting stories where everybody is a full character instead of this like caricature of a human which both of these people are not just kevin hart and i can understand if you want characters to change in your screenplay i get that you know you have them start off one way in act one they're a different person by act three there are lessons learned along the way hopefully the audience can walk away with those lessons but to your point katie you could tell that same story but in a different there there are there are different ways to tell that story Without without being exploitive, without being uh, insulting and offensive, which this movie is, I haven't even gotten to the scene where uh, Kevin Hart's homophobia shines through. Oh, God. Uh, and that's the scene where he has to change um, Phillips, his urinary cathera, and it involves Kevin Hart having to touch uh, Brian Cranston's penis. And Kevin Hart's reaction to it is typical Kevin Hart. Oh, 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 no. Oh, God. Oh, like, you know, just it's over the top. It's obnoxious. And it's not funny. Forget forget the fact that um, he has all of this controversy surrounding him that he's you know closeted homophobic towards uh, towards gay people. But instead, like just look at it on, on the level of this is just not a funny premise. This is um, 
you know, the the jokes just don't really land. I mean, it's a poorly written movie to begin with, regardless of any other outside external factors. Right. He can't even say the word penis. And it's like, right. bro, you have a penis. Like, mm-hmm. you interact with one on a daily basis. Like, get over it. And my, one of my very close friends is a hospice care worker. And so she deals with people who are bedridden. A lot of times they have disabilities and they're elderly. And so the entire time I'm thinking of all of these complex things that she does. And I'm like, oh, that guy cannot handle this. He cannot do this job. He cannot, like, transfer this man and take care of him in the way he needs. He's going to get sick and die with under this person's care because he doesn't know what he's doing. And that was also very uncomfortable that Kevin Hart was just like, nope, I'm not doing that. And it, it's like, well, if you're going to take care of someone, this is part of taking care of them. This is part of their life and their daily existence. And this is what you are taking on. And the fact that the movie just kind of excuses all of that is another reason that it's just like, ugh. You guys, what were you doing? Why, who, how did you get this? How did you get here from your starting point? You know, it's another thing that we're doing that the movie did too. Forget about Nicole Kidman. Oh, God, Nicole Kidman. I felt so bad for her watching this. Honestly, I, I, I wanted so badly to find a way to just, like, contact Nicole and tell her, it's okay. Like, we will forgive you for this. Like... <laughs> I, I like I, I feel so bad to, you know, trash a movie that you're a part of because I love her. I, I think she's fantastic in almost everything it is that she does. She was an Aquaman or barely an Aquaman. And she and all of her scenes in that were great. And here she for me is like the only bright spot of the movie um, because her character. I don't, I don't know what it is about her, but she's I, I can't tell what kind of accent she's actually doing in this. I think that's her own. I think that's what? probably just her regular voice. Yeah, she's Australian. That's probably just her regular voice that's been mutated from doing so many different accents over the years. Yeah, I, I um, I'm not good with accents, so I and I really wasn't paying attention to it until like after the movie was over, and I was thinking to myself, what accent was that the entire time? But um, every time she's on screen, those scenes are funny. Those scenes uh, work pretty well. And her chemistry with both Hart and Cranston is pretty good. I think they play off each other very well. And then there was another thing that came up, and that is <laughs> there's this whole subplot involving uh, Philip wanting to connect with this uh, other woman in his life who he's never met before, but he's like pen pals with, and they exchange letters back and forth, and it's all very cutesy and this and that. But he doesn't think that she knows that he's in the chair, and he's worried about meeting her because then he'll have to reveal that to her, and he's you know being insecure about it and stuff. And it actually might be the best scene in the whole movie. Uh, the woman turns out to be Juliana Margulies, and it's a dinner scene, like a date scene between her and Brian Cranston. And I don't know about you, Katie, but that was my favorite scene in the whole movie, actually. That was the one that felt like it had the most depth to it and the most, right. you know, honesty about it. Yeah. I could feel the subtext in the acting that the two of them were doing because they both, because the dinner starts off very, very well, like exceedingly well to the point where I was like thinking, is she going to like con him or something? Like what's going on here? Um, but no, it just ended up being just instead this rather um, sweet but yet heartbreaking uh, uh, scene with two people just being honest with each other. 
And then it kind of ends on a very corny note where Cranston's like, I can't feel anything. And I'm like, oh, God, on the nose, man. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, they, they they tell you that message almost just explicitly. Like this, mm-hmm. like the screenwriter comes on this, uh, on the camera and like, OK, so this is what we're saying with this scene. Let us just explain it to you in case you didn't get the very obvious dialogue. And so naturally, we all know how this story plays out because let's face it, this movie is not original. We all know Nicole Kidman is really the person person in Cranston's life who loves him for who he is and he has to learn to love himself for who he is now and uh, also learn to love again uh, post what's what's happened with his wife and so I I, I have to say like I, I thought like I said I thought the chemistry between the two of them was all well and good and stuff as actors but then I just like another connection just dawned on me and that is the fact that she's his secretary and he's her employer and this movie was a Harvey Weinstein movie well, at one point. To be, I hate to be fair to Harvey Weinstein, but to be somewhat fair, she had left his employee at that time. Because it says okay. he she quit. And that's what uh-huh. gets Kevin Hart to be like, oh, damn, Yvonne quit. And that's what makes him go and save them by bringing them back together. But it's still uncomfortable. It's still Yeah, awkward. it still made me think about it. Right. And that's not the impression that you want to get. And I did notice they scrubbed Harvey Weinstein and the Weinstein name off of every bit of this. Oh, 100%. They they have to, for sure. So, this I, I do feel like this movie is extremely difficult to view objectively. But if I tried my absolute best, I would still say that I think it's poorly scripted. I would still say I hate the digital cinematography. That has zero depth, uh, no use of shadow. It just looks very bland at all times. And I also think that, you know, actually, I'll give a little bit of leeway here and I'll say Cranston is average. Kevin Hart is better than what he typically is, but it, it, like, but he's still not great. And And when I say better, I mean like he's being more dramatic. Uh, in this role than he has been in anything else he's done before, I think. Yes, and I saw a couple things talking about Kevin Hart's dramatic turn, and I was like, no, no. No, no. This is not a dramatic turn. This is him not making jokes every second. Only every other second. Like, let's be real here. But I agree. Mm -hmm. I thought, I think personally that his Jumanji is his best role. That was what I liked of him the most, and that's because he's playing off so many other better actors. But this is all right. I mean, if you can get over all of the terrible things and jokes and who his character is, it's all right. Like, I wonder if somebody... I'd like to talk to somebody that watched this that didn't know about any of the controversies or anything like that that's been happening in the news, and they just were able to see it for the movie that it is. I'm just really curious to know if the movie would work for them or not, because I feel like this movie is designed to be a crowd pleaser. And the audience I saw it with, half of them really did like it. And another reason for that and something I've been noticing a lot lately in film is that uh, these crowd pleasing movies will typically tend to utilize music as a way, as a universal way to unite the audience and bring the audience together into liking the movie. And here they utilize uh, opera and Aretha Franklin. And who doesn't like Aretha Franklin? <sighs> exactly. It, it, it feels like a cheap trick. 
Yes, it does. And I'll tell you, man, my audience, like the non, I saw it at a, a critics and everybody screening. So the critics in the, in the seat, in the theater were, they chuckled a little, but everybody yeah. else loved it. There was laughing and, oh, it's so great. But I, when I walked out, I did appreciate that one person came out and said, well, I like that better than Green Book. <laughs> oh, well, hey. And I turned to my friend and I was like, that's not the best praise right there. <laughs> Broken clock is right how many times a day? Yeah, exactly. Ugh, yeah. Well, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is at a 72, currently sitting at a critics rating of 38% right now. So the audience score at least isn't like in the 90s or something like that. Right. So we can take solace in knowing that maybe the divide between audience and critics are, is not going to be that far off this time around. Um but yeah, this is something that I, I think I think the best thing that this movie can do is it can serve as a means to talk about some more systemic issues, um, such as casting uh, more disabled people uh, in roles within Hollywood and not because they are disabled. Like, don't build a screenplay like around that aspect, like give them three-dimensional roles with character, with agency. I mean... Right. And you know what? The movie that I saw this last year, 2019 now, uh, that did that really well was uh, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, which I didn't particularly care for personally, but it handles his disability very well. Like, it does not harp on it. It shows you his struggles that he deals with, but he his disability does not define who he is as a character his alcoholism does but and that movie i was like okay this is handling it all right but in this one it was all the opposite choices were made in regards to how they portrayed a person who lives with you know being quadriplegic right so i don't know there's that there's there, I mean, Kevin Hart, for the love of God, says a line in the movie where he <laughs> – I wrote this down because I couldn't believe it was actually a line of dialogue. It said um, – where is it? I, I Okay, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, forget about my past. I got to move forward. Yep. And I was like, wait a minute, didn't you not just say this on Ellen the other day? Like, Yeah, that was painful. It is, but at the same time, I do think that these conversations uh, need to be had. These conversations that where people are saying, oh my gosh, are, are we getting too outraged over stuff from people's past and we're the police and we're digging stuff up to tear people down? And I don't think that's what it is. I don't think anyone's out to attack anyone. I think that people have valid questions to ask about a person's character and they, when they ask the questions how that person responds will de determine and show if they've truly changed or not yeah simple I, as that i firmly maintain and you know this that it's all on how you react to things if you react with you know i'm so sorry i didn't realize i did that i will do better in the future and then you try to do better then you're fine You'll be okay. People, some people will still be upset, but that's their right. If you fucked up, like it, you don't get to determine how other people react to things and just say, "Oh, well, you're you're too upset about this." It's like, well, you said some pretty terrible things, and it's you said it. You have to own it and not just be like, "Well, I'm done talking about this." Like, well, not everybody else is, so you're gonna have to live with that. I don't know if The Upside will be the worst movie I see this year. I highly doubt it. No. I Because 
I think they're, I, I mean, we're so early in the year. Detective Pikachu is still coming out, Matt. Oh, boy. There's <laughs> bound to be something else, I'm sure. But this is definitely something that I had reservations about going in to see. I went in anyway. And boy, oh, boy, here we are. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, Katie? Don't go see this movie. For the love yeah. of God, go see The Favorite again or anything else. Watch Roma on Netflix yeah, for like, you know, the 50th time. Private Life. You know, that's got a great female director with some awesome performances. Don't do this, please, for the love of God. All right. Well, we did try to find the upside in this, but <laughs> here we are. All right. Well, with that said, great out of 10, Katie. One out of ten. Ooh, the lowest rating possible. Mm-hmm. Ooh, love it. Uh, I will be just a tad bit more lenient, but just barely. Like, if we could give halves, I'd probably do a 1.5. But I'll go with a two here. Um, and I say this because I don't really believe this will be the worst movie I will see this year. Um, but it's definitely one of the worst. I, I give. I guess I give the two for Cranston and Kidman. Yeah. Really? Probably. My my one star is for Nicole Kidman. She gets she gets that star. She can take it home with her. All right. All right. Well, that's fair. Ah, oh, man. This was exhausting just even like having to think back on this movie honestly. Right. Now I can forget it and be like, "Okay, let's go." think about something else now <laughs> and that is the upside uh alrighty well so i'm not even gonna bother to talk about the oscar prospects there are no oscar prospects no. and it's so funny to think that at one point this was going to be positioned as an oscar prospect for cranston like th- there's just no way this ever would have like e- even with like i said before even without the other news surrounding it critics never would have went to this no no, not, not it's now. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> maybe 10 years ago, maybe. 20 years ago, probably more likely, but not now. Everybody knows better now, or they should, because this is... They should. Oof, a disgrace. And, that, and that's the way I look... That's what I look at this movie as. I look at this movie as an example of what not to do and how far we still have to go, because there are people who write these stories there are people who green light these stories there are people who believe that amazing foreign language films need to be remade for some reason yeah that needs to die that whole idea yeah like uh, come on we're sophisticated uh people now we've got things like well we used to have things like filmstruck uh you know we we could be cultured and watch foreign films we don't need an americanized remake of it you know right if anime can be as big as it is and i say this as an anime watcher we can watch foreign films. We can get into it. Come on. All right. Well, Katie, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Upside here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, FM, Acast, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate us five stars. That's kind of a hint. Just to do the five-star rating, nothing else really. And leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate your feedback. We also appreciate your support, where if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. And boy, oh boy, do we have some really cool stuff coming soon. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.
Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.